0: All right, Uh, as our ushers continue to go on back, I want to go ahead and begin recapping a little bit where we've been for the past couple of weeks. If it's your first time here, uh, we oftentimes do series, and we're kind of in the middle of a six week series called One. And uh, what kind of started us going down this path together is understanding how awesome it is. How would you like it if you only had one thing to get done? When you woke up tomorrow, Monday, on a Monday morning, you wake up and I've only got one thing that I have to do all day. Wouldn't that be nice if you only had one thing that you had to do? It'd be really nice if that one thing was to just go back to sleep, maybe. But, uh, but usually it's something bigger than that. Well, in a way, that's true. When we, become, when we come to a point where we discover what God's plan is for us and how he created us, you, become, you come to realize there's a focus of living that God has in store for us that we miss sometimes. We call it discovering the power of an integrated life. When something's integrated, it is narrowly focused. It has one goal, one purpose, one mission, one thing that sustains it. But so many times we live disintegrated lives. We got so many plates spinning, so many hats we're trying to wear, so many goals we're trying to accomplish. And I'm not saying that that goes away necessarily But once you realize the one most important thing that you're supposed to be doing and accomplishing and focusing on, it changes how you see and even do all those other things. And maybe even some of those things you say, nope, don't need to do that anymore. Maybe some of those things like, nope, that's not as important and I need to do this thing instead. That's the power of an integrated life. So a couple of weeks ago when we began this journey, we offered this simple question that helps us to discover that integrated life, and that's why do you exist? Why are you even here? Why are you breathing God's good air? Why did he create you? Why did he uh, allow you to be? And the answer to that question, as you look at God's word, all from the beginning of Scripture to the very end of Scripture, it's very clear that you can sum it up in one simple sentence. You exist to walk with God. That's it. He created you to be with you. He created you to have a relationship with you. And you heard Missy talk about that in Piper's baptism, that there's a relationship. This is the most important thing in all of our lives is to have an actual relationship with the God who made us. And if you look at the very beginning of the Bible, that's what he made us for. If you look at the very end of the Bible, he says, that's what I'm looking forward to is being in eternity with you forever. And then everything in between is all the work God has done to make it even possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why you exist. You exist to walk with God. But the one thing we notice about the way he made us is he did not make us to do life alone at all. Some of the worst versions of humanity, if you will, are humanity in isolation. Humanity on an island. Humanity completely alone. We, we are not right when we're isolated. Do you, you know this, right? We've seen this over and over and over again. And, and even when you look in the creation account in the Bible... God looked at what he made every day. He made something, and he said it's good, but there was one time he said not good, and that's when he saw that man was alone. So we're created for relationships. So that brings us to another question we must ask, and we asked this last week. Why do we exist? You know, we, do we have a different collective purpose? No. The answer to that question is we exist to walk with God together. It's the same as your individual purpose. It's just that we do this, and we're called to do this, and we're created to do this together. That's what we're to do for the rest of our lives is to walk with God, but we don't do it alone. We do it obviously with him, but also with the help and encouragement of others. Last week, we talked about what does it look like to walk with God together with other people. We talked about this concept of one anothering. You read through the New Testament and the Bible, you'll see all these one another's encourage one another, pray for one another, spur on one another, love one another. You'll see that one over and over. Love one another, love one another, love one another. That's what we were made for. But not only that, in order to know what it's like to walk with God together, we must also come to understand where's he going? What's he doing? Where's he leading us? If we're walking with him, where's he headed? And what we caught a glimpse of together last week is God walks towards God the messes God walks into the lostness and into the brokenness because he is the God who restores he is the God who heals He is the God who redeems so if we're going to walk with God together we're going to one another each other yay love that part but in addition to that we're going to walk into the scorpion center and feed hungry people. We're gonna walk into the places of brokenness and lostness where there's no hope and speak and live out the hope that can only come from God. So, now where do we go from here? We've asked these questions Why do you exist? Why do we exist? Today, we're gonna to answer this third question What do we do? What does this actually look like if we're gonna walk with God together? What do we do together in order to accomplish? Walking with God together. Well, if you've been around here for at least a year, if not longer, or maybe even more recent, you may have heard us list these four words that start with the same letter, the letter G, because we like to alliterate sometimes. Helps us remember things. These are the four things we do. Gather, grow, give, and go. That's what I want every one of us to strive for. To actually do together. So we're going to work through this list. We're actually going to focus on those last three. All together next week. We're just going to talk about the first one today. Because guess what? You did it today. You gathered in worship. That's what that is. So like yay me. Right? I could check one off at least today. Right? But but. I want, to, I want to park here for a moment because I think it's so easy to miss the heaviness and the weightiness and the awesomeness of this one thing. When you think about it, for how long, thousands of years, people who have believed in this person named Jesus, that up to 500 people or more saw him alive after they watched him die and placed in a tomb that to this very day, 2,000 years later, people set their alarms on a Sunday morning, sometimes other days, and wake up, and they come to a room like this, and we worship. We do some weird stuff. Do you go anywhere else during your week where you stand up and just sing songs? <laughs> Unless it's someone's birthday in a restaurant, probably not, right? Unless you go to a concert, probably not. And then you hear a guy come up and open up this book and read out of it and talk about it. And someone pass a basket, some people put money in it. We do some stuff that seems kind of weird. Why do we do all this? What's the the point of all of this? Well, I want to read a couple of passages to you. And, and, And I think it'll help us zero in on just how important that is. But before I read these passages to you, I want to confess something to you that I believe is absolutely true and I think we've talked about this even as a staff when we've met together, you could have stayed home today and you could have gotten on your tablet or your smartphone or your laptop or your desktop and you could have found somebody way better at preaching than me who have maybe written books, like maybe even lots of books. You could have streamed them live even, not just a recording. You could have done that. You could have gone online and found a worship team and, and, and the recording of that song is so professional you'll think you're right there in the room and, and the video production of that makes you almost feel like you're there and, and this is a worship team that's put out like albums if they still call them albums playlists or whatever they've, they've, they've written songs and they're out there. I mean you could have done that and I think that's awesome that we can do that I'd do that. <laughs> but there's some things you just cannot download. I've experienced it already today. I'm like, you know what? The energy in the room as we sing together about a man who ran out of that grave so that we could run out of ours. Watching Piper be baptized and family be so pumped about that. And the energy that comes from that. You can't download that. You can't stream that. Although we got Facebook Live going right now, we're glad you're joining us. Keep, keep joining us. But then maybe next week you come here because this is where there's something happens here you can't download. And so these passages I want to read to you kind of help explain that a little bit. I want to read to you first. Th- this should be like the theme verse for this entire series. It's in Ephesians 4. And listen to what it says. It's so simple Ephesians 4 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, there's a lot of ones and alls there, but let that sink in for just a moment. There's one body. There's only one body of Christ, bride of Christ, one church. And you're part of that. If you place your faith in Jesus, you're part of this one big, giant team, this family, this unified army, this community, this country, this people. And you're, you're one. You're unified in that, in one spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, takes up residence within us when we place our faith in him. So every single person in this room that has placed their faith in Jesus has the spirit of the living God residing in them. There's a commonality and a power in that once we let that sink in. And there's there's one hope, this gospel, this good news that Jesus died on the cross and if we believe in him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. That's our one hope that unites us all. One Lord, one God, the same God, one faith in Jesus alone. One baptism. Piper got baptized just now. What's so unifying about that is that's the same baptism that Jesus himself submitted himself to. Isn't that mind-blowing? We're unified in that, one God and Father of all, one Daddy, one Heavenly Father, who is over all and through all and in all, there's a power in that oneness that you can't experience by just thinking it might be good to do one day or you can't download it. You gotta you got show up for it, you know? When we gather in worship, this is the kind of stuff we get to experience Together. Now, I grew up in the country in Appalachian, Kentucky, down in Southeast Kentucky. I can't tell you if I've heard it, if I had a nickel for every time that I heard this, uh, we we could we could we could build two more buildings here on campus. Well, when I'm out there by that river with my fishing pole, I worship the Lord. I don't have to go to church to worship. I mean, I've heard that so many times. And listen. That's true, actually. I mean, right? Worship is not a scheduled hour. It is a life, right? Hopefully, if you've been following Jesus, if you don't know this already, you can actually worship when you wake up in the morning and go to school, go to work, whatever team you play on, whatever stuff you do. You, that can be an act of worship to the Lord, and if we start doing it that way, it changes everything, but still I used to struggle arguing against my fellow Appalachian Americans uh, about this because I'm like, yeah, I get that, and you're right. I don't, I don't think you have to walk into a church building to worship. I, I know that to be true, and it's you know, you would think that after many years of of being here, you know, and and I got to show up because I work here, you know. Uh, you would think there would come a moment where maybe even I would be like so burned out. Like, you know what? You know, you don't have to. Let's let's all go fishing or whatever. And that's not the case. The older I get, the older I get, the older I get, it's even more clear to me how vital this is. And it's so vital. You miss something huge when you don't gather together in worship. For someone who has placed their faith in Jesus, but don't want to have anything to do with gathering worship. It's like you being adopted into a family and you don't ever go to dinner with them. You never go to the dinner table together. But yeah, I got your last name and I know I have a dad and some siblings but I don't know them. We don't do anything together. It doesn't make a difference in my life that I have this family. But yeah, I got a family. But when you get together with the family and you experience something supernatural that you can't experience on your own, I was reading an article on desiringgod.com. It's a great place, great articles. One of the uh, editors there, David Mathis, wrote an article kind of talking about this. And he described gathering together in worship like it's an opportunity every time you gather to have the very fog of your life lifted up so that you can see clearly. And he points to this psalm I want to read to you to explain that. Psalm 73 it's a song that was written that we have here in the Old Testament. And the psalmist starts talking about what he observes in the world. In Psalm 73, 1, it says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. And he's seeing that something's not right in his life. goes on to say, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, They have no struggles. I don't know if that's true, but it may at least appeared that way to him, right? They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does, does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. In, the, in this moment, as this song is being written, the psalmist is looking around him, and he's, there's this tension between, you know what? This, this world is just kind of dark and wicked, and there's so much hopelessness and lostness and brokenness in the world while also observing at the same time, like, I almost feel like they have it better than me. I'm trying to follow God, and yet they seem to have way less cares and burdens than I do. Uh, Maybe even having more fun than I do. And he's seeing this, and he's laying that before before his God, and he continues in verse 13 to then look and observe himself a little bit. And he says in verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence." You know, that's a very, very poetic way of saying, is it even worth it that I'm trying to follow God? Is it in vain that I seek to live a pure life and an innocent life before God? And he says in verse 14, all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. <laughs> it feels that way every time I wake up sometimes too. Caffeine helps a little. And so he says, he goes on to say in verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. He recognizes the fog that he's in. And then I love verse 17 because here's the turning point. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. And he goes on to describe what was revealed to him as the fog was lifted, that though this world is dark and hopeless, and sometimes it seems like the wicked win and, and the good lose, there's going to come a day in the future when God makes it all right. And until then, he's with us. I want to just pull two verses out of the rest of this psalm, verses 25 and 26. As the fog lifts for the psalmist, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? You. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. He went from, you know, maybe the wicked have it better than I do. I I would would have less cares in the world, just do whatever. And they seem to be doing pretty well. He went from there to saying, nothing would satisfy me but you, O God. And he says, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The fog is lifted as he worships in the temple. And I've seen that happen over and over in my life, personally. Some of my greatest moments, the the strongest, most memorable spiritual milestones in my life happened gathering and worship. You know, my life changed on a night when I was gathering and worship. And the best way I knew how, I called on the name of Jesus and he saved me was in a gathering like this. There's something about coming together that is just powerful. I'll say it like this. When we gather in worship, we experience the power of gathering being like in this. one there's eternal something about family coming together. That is together. Just, there's a power in that. You look around and say, and we're united on this one thing. This one thing that is the one hope that we have through Jesus Christ. The one God, the one Father of us all. The one person who created every single one of us. And this hope is free to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter in this room what your past was like. It doesn't matter what you did a year ago, a decade ago, last week, last night. We've come here into this place and we're unified in this one moment that here we are gathered together for one thing and one thing alone to worship the one God who made us. We were all created by him. And if you've placed your faith in Him, you do that in the spirit of the one who raised Him from the dead living right there within you. And, and, and there's something about it that makes me leave here a little differently every time I come here. And so I want to give you a next step to consider as we close our time together this morning. And I, I hesitated to make this the next step because it almost sounds too easy and, and, you know, honestly, I, I, I want to stand up before you and say, you know what? Like, just totally get radical and just change everything about your life right now for God, and, and that might be what you do. But the thing that God laid on my heart to tell you to do today is to do this, to just turn your commitment to gathering in worship, just turn it up one notch, just one notch. Now, you may want to, you know, I don't know, there may be five notches. You're going to be like, nope, I'm going hardcore today, Bill. Forget your one-notch talk. Okay, fine. That's great. That's great. But, you know, I believe in the Couch to 5K app. Sometimes you've got to crawl before you walk, and you've got to walk before you run. you got to, you know what I'm saying? So I want to give you this next step to consider. What, what would it be like for you to just turn it up one notch? I don't say this in judgment, but you might be here today. And you rarely go to church and you're here today. And I'm like, yay, I'm glad you're here. I was you once upon a time. I used to rarely go to church. And so maybe for you, it's like, okay, I don't want it to be rare anymore. I need to be here. There's something happening here that I see that I need. And so maybe you make a decision, okay, at least once a month, I'm going to be here. At least once a month. You might be here today, and you're more like a once a month, twice a month. That's kind of the average we're finding uh, with our uh, millennial generation and younger, especially. And maybe once or twice a month on average of attendance. Maybe for you to turn it up a notch is is, is going to say, I, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to I'm going to strive to do this every week, because it's re- it's there for me to do every week. I'm going to strive. To do it every week. And you know, things happen, and sometimes I can't, but as much as I physically can, I will. Now you may be sitting there saying, and I, I can I can almost sense it. Of course, preacher, you're gonna encourage us to be in worship every week, because I know what you do. We had this many in worship last Sunday. Woo, yay me, right? That's what you're thinking, right? Listen, I'm past that, man. I'm getting old. I don't care about that. I really don't. It, The reason that this is so important is because what it does to change us. And to me, I don't know if you've probably said these words before, but when you start getting close to family, and there's some kind of gathering you're going to have together, and you get invited to that, you've probably said these words, I wouldn't miss it. Have you ever said that? Like, oh, I'm not missing that. I would not miss that. That's the flip of the switch that can happen with worship, if you let it. And, and I tell you, another notch that not, might need to be turned to flip that switch for you, you may be like I was back in 1988, sitting in a worship gathering, recognizing I don't have this Jesus that we've been singing about. I've not let him be Lord of my life. I've not placed my trust in him. That'll change what worship is like for you. You'll go from being a spectator in the bleachers to being on the field with Christ. And it changes everything. And you will say, I don't want to miss it <laughs> when you have that experience. So maybe where you are, your one notch is to finally turn your life over to Jesus and put your faith in him. Romans ten thirteen says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You Turn. And take a step of faith right here, right now, and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and make me your child and the best decision you'll ever make. And that's one way you can turn it up a notch. I'll give you one more. We mentioned it earlier. Maybe for you to turn up that one notch is, man, I'm here all the time. But have you thought about living your life in such a way Monday through Saturday to where even that Is part of your worship. You're walking with God Monday through Saturday in such a way that I can't wait to get with my family Sunday because of everything that I've been doing to walk with him Monday through Saturday. That's a different notch that you can turn up with God's help. This isn't like, check, are you happy with me now, God? This is like, God is saying, listen, just if you will do this thing, if you will come gather and worship together, I will show up and do something that you never thought would ever happen in your life. And perhaps that's happening right here, right now with you. Maybe you're one notch. There's a guy, a friend of mine, Scott Munich. His kids got baptized a few months ago, and he met me in my office. We're talking about baptism, and he said, "Uh, well, I want to be baptized too. I turned my life over to Christ right in this room two or three years ago, I think he said. And he said, but now that my kids are saying i got to be baptized, I want to too. And sometimes we've made that first step, but it's hard to take that next step. Not too many people are like, you know, I just want to get dunked in front of a couple hundred people. You know, that's not something you do every day. But we call that slipping on the wedding band. And that's that one baptism that shows your unity in the family that, yes, I too follow Jesus. We all do that together. It's a, it's a thing that when we turn that up one notch, we take that next step, that God does something powerful with it in our lives. So as we pray and we sing one more worship song, what is your one notch? Turn that this morning. I'll be standing down in this area. You might notice after worship, several of us hang out sometimes during the song and definitely after the song. You can call that the next step area. We, we're working through next steps. And if you want to take one of those steps, come talk to us. We'll get that taken care of for you. Let's pray. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, we have sometimes made worship more about a box we check. It becomes something we just go through the motions and do. But as we sing this song to you, oh God, help us to realize that it's all about you It's all about you and how awesome you are that you would make us, that you would love us, that you would use our lives somehow for the good is so mind-blowing, oh Lord. I pray right now that as we sing this song that we just worship you in spirit and in truth. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.